Welcome to Richpoint Church to the 49th day of 49 days. It's a series we've been on for the last eight weeks, looking at this idea that I believe most of us have a desire to grow in our relationship with God. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Maybe we're at different levels of where that's at. But most of us and most of the people we come in contact with out in the world, if you were just to ask them, do you want to grow in your relationship with God? Most people, not understanding what that looks like, but most people would say, yeah, sure, that sounds like an admirable thing. Well, this series is all about that. If, if we were to instill certain disciplines into our life, what would that look like? And we got together as a staff a while back, and we started to look at what that looks like. And, and, and as we gather together to find, kind of wrap up the series, obviously we're here on Father's Day, and so to every dad that's out there, a happy Father's Day. I cannot understate the value of fathers in, in our society, especially in our American society, whether they be the biological dads who oversee us, adopted dads, or just people who came on as a father figure in our life, uh, the role that, that we play as, as men to be able to instill discipline into our children's life in, in a good way. I think sometimes we get a negative view of what discipline is, and we think it's a really, really like a negative thing, like a punishment thing, but discipline often on the front end is meant to bring delight into our life. The first week we talked about this idea that discipline without direction leads to drudgery, but discipline with direction leads to delight. If, if we can see the purpose behind what we're doing. As an athlete trains his body, he's not always excited about the training. There's a lot of running, there's a lot of working out, it's, it's a lot of work to be able to get to the goals that he wants. And so if we view our spiritual discipline that way, if we look at it and say, I want to add these things of value to my life, Ultimately, to see two purposes accomplished, and we've talked about these every week. I want to love God more deeply, and I want to love people more richly. Like, that should be our goal, and so I realize that if that is my goal, then how do I do that? Well, I start to instill disciplines into my life. I start to look at, okay, here are the things, and we've talked through things like reading our Bible and, and memorizing Scripture. We've talked through things like, like praying and, and, and uh, giving and, and, and doing, doing different things like fasting and resting and all these different things. And last week we hit on this topic, not just coming to church. Like I think it's a necessary component of growth to come to church. But not just coming to church, but getting involved and in taking ownership of church to be a part of God's kingdom uh, here as we try to impact our world. And so today, kind of springing off of that, we're going to talk about uh, really two topics that are kind of wed together. We're going to talk about service and evangelism. Evangelism is telling people about the love of God, and service is showing them that love. I want us to get that. Evangelism is telling people about how much God loves them, and service is how we show that love to them on a practical level. A few years ago, I had a chance to take a group of students. We were in the middle of this big, long, week-long youth revival thing that we were doing. This was a long, long time ago. Uh, but we're in the middle of this youth revival, and Saturday morning, we kind of learned every, all, all week, I think it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we learned all week long about what it meant to really have a relationship with God, what that looked like, to experience the love of Christ in our life. And then on Saturday, we said, okay, to, to give feet to what we've been talking about all week long, we're going to go out and, and we're going to gone to the community, and we're just going to love in the community. We had different service projects they had planned. And on Saturday, one of the projects, we went out to a local lake, and people were like running around the lake, and it was really hot. We live in Florida. It was really, really hot, and so we took bottles of water, and we were just handing out bottles of water to people just as they're running the trail, saying, hey, here's a bottle of water if you'd like it. Uh, we're from the church down the road. Here's a bottle of water. And, and one of the people that came by, they, they said, uh, why are you giving us water? I don't understand. And the, the girl, and she was a teenage girl, first time she'd ever done anything like this before. She's a teenage girl, she hands a bottle to them and says, and she says, why are you doing this? She says, well, I just want to share the love of Jesus in a practical way. 
And it would be so neat if at the end of that story, the lady comes to realize faith in Christ and all this stuff. But she didn't. She responded. And she's like, oh, you're some religious freak. And refused a bottle of water and walked away. And, and, and here's the thing. As, as we look at this, sometimes one of those stories are all neat and tidy and all fits. And sometimes it doesn't work out that way. But our goal as, as, as believers is to instill discipline in our life where we're looking out for the interest of others. We're looking to serve them. And as we look to serve them, we hope that through our service to them, we have a chance to share the love of Jesus and explain what the gospel is about, that Jesus loved them, that he died for them. That's actually the prescription, the model that Jesus used as he goes out and he ministers to people. He does things like feeding the 5,000 and restoring sight, healing the lame, raising the dead, meeting felt needs, meeting people where they're at. I could have picked a lot of different texts for this. We just want to look at one because one of the things I'm excited about is actually in just a couple of minutes, I'm kind of the warm-up act. Trevor's going to be coming and finishing, finishing this service, talking about how they're doing this in, in a real way across the world. But we have a chance to do this right here. This week I had a chance to see that. Uh, I talked about at the end of the service last week. Uh, there's a fire over in Eloise. A great chance for us to serve. There's some ministries involved there. We just want to supplement what they're doing. And this week, throughout the week, people are bringing uh, household items and bringing clothes, bags of clothes. We even had some out in the lobby again today. Bring household items. Uh, we said there's another need we became, became aware of. Uh, people that had homeless people there living in tents, had their tents slashed. Uh, so this week we were able to hand deliver a bunch of clothes, household items, and a number of tents that were bought or donated through, through our church. And so I just want to thank you guys as a church for stepping up. That's what we're supposed to do as a Christian community is look for those needs as Jesus did. Meet those needs and realize those needs on a physical level give us a chance to talk about that which is spiritual. John chapter 4. We're going to look at this real quick, but there's a story, and and I could have picked a lot of stories of Jesus because he did this often. But in John John chapter 4, we see this, verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he'd made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. So this is an area Jesus had already been. The stories of Jesus, the first miracle that he performed, had, had been spreading across the area. People were familiar with who Jesus is. We meet this official. It says his son was ill. The next verse, we're about to find out how serious it is. It says this, When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Dads, if we could put ourselves in a situation for a second. Your son's sick, but sick to the point of death. Listen, the official had a bunch of other needs that had to be met. But at this point in his life, only one thing matters. My son's sick, he's about to die. Like at that point, my job no longer matters. At that point, other family stuff that's happening, other drama that might be happening in my life, all of that doesn't matter. My son's about to die. This is all I care about. When we look to serve people, we're looking to find needs like that. And maybe it's nothing as big as Jesus who's about to perform this miracle and heal this guy's son. Maybe it's not that big, but I guarantee you, if maybe it's someone we have a chance to come in contact with, or maybe someone we have a chance to go and serve that says, I ate my, this meal, and it's the last meal I know where it's coming from. My next meal, I don't know where it's, where it's coming from at all. For us, that doesn't seem as big a deal as this, but for that person, all they focus on all day long is where's my next meal coming from? And we as believers have a chance to make an impact, to serve others. And through serving others, we have a chance to impact them, not just here taking care of their needs now, but impacting them for eternity. See, the gospel itself doesn't need me to add anything to it. The message is so powerful. God loves us. Jesus died for us. Really, that's it. That's what everyone needs. 
But so many people are stuck in the midst of their physical things they're dealing with right now. They're so focused on physical needs that they're not even having time to think about spiritual needs. So we have a chance to serve like Jesus served, to take care of this need. And so it says that the man heard he came to Jesus and he's at the point of death. In verse 48, Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. He wants him to come down to where he is. And Jesus, just by his words, heals him. Jesus said to him in verse 50, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The man leaves and and he has confidence that Jesus has has healed him. And so he leaves and he finds out that at the exact moment Jesus said he was healed, he was healed. Listen, the gospel doesn't need us to add anything to it. But here's what I've discovered. Meeting physical needs gives credibility to our message. It's not the message of the gospel so much. It's that when I try to communicate the message of the gospel, I messed up. I make mistakes. And because of that, I don't always do an adequate job of sharing the love of God in my life. And so because of that, somewhere along the lines, my actions have diluted the message that I'm trying to bring. And so our service gives credibility to the message, but it's not just about our service. There are a lot of people, and there are a lot of churches that think if we just go out and love people, if we just go out and serve people, that's all that's necessary. But see, the disciplines we're trying to instill right now is is wedding service with evangelism, sharing the love of God in a practical way, but then speaking the truth of, of God's love. Jesus heals him. In the midst of healing him, verse 53 says this, the father knew that, the hour, that, that, uh, knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed and all his household. Because Jesus meets his physical need and heals his son, it says the father believed, and not just the father, but his whole household came to believe. As we meet physical needs, it gives us a chance to be able to share the most important message message that God loves us, that Jesus died for us. Evangelism without service is loveless, but service without evangelism is powerless. If, if, if we evangelize without serving people, we don't actually love them. We, we have a good message and it's powerful, but evangelism without service is loveless. Service without evangelism is powerless. We see this guy being healed. We see the difference that it made in his, his, the son being healed, the difference made in the dad's life. The whole family comes to believe. And so this discipline of service It's outside the bounds of how we normally live. We live in an American culture that is consumed with self. We want for ourselves, But service is I want to look out for the needs of others. I want to look out first and specifically for their physical need. But then more importantly, as I take care of those physical needs, to hope to earn the right to be able to share the life-changing message of who Jesus is and how he died to take away our sins and to give us hope and to give us freedom. See, I can meet physical needs. I can do my best and play my part, but only God can meet that spiritual need, and our hope is found in Him. This past week, I had a chance to, to go and, and, and meet with a group of pastors, and, and we're actually planning a day of service in, in October, and it's churches from across the association gathering together to serve in our community. Some specifically targeting Eloise. There's a group there called Doors to Change. And there, there are over 100 houses, and, and, and get this, because in just a second, uh, Trevor's going to share a little bit about what's happening in, in Harbico in the Dominican Republic and to see the poverty that's there. But realize some of that's happening here now, and there's a chance for us to make a difference. Uh, in this particular area in, in Eloise, for those who drive by, you see this on a regular basis, especially like 1st Street through 4th Street in Eloise. 
Uh, it's called a red zone, and it's called a red zone because 90% of the people that live in that area are living at or below the poverty level. If you drive through, you see that on a, on a daily basis. And as we met, and pastors are talking together with builders trying to figure out how can we make a difference in the homes, fixing up homes, helping them out, but also to meet those spiritual needs, and then how can we do that in our own communities as we go as churches. Uh, the lady who heads up that organization, she said this, talking about the people in, those, in that specific situation. The need is beyond that, which the government can help out with. And she said this, they, those people, fall into the trap where there's no help beyond faith-based organizations. They fall into a trap where there's no help beyond the church. As we meet needs, as big as helping out with someone's home, as, as, as big as helping out with someone's food, we have a chance to serve, to love, and to be able to share a message. Three years ago, I had a chance to travel with a, a group of believers. I was relatively new at the church, and we were set with the task of going and planning our first international trip. We went down to Tegucigalpa, Honduras. And, and I wish I could describe in words what that first week was like. First time any of us had been on a trip like that. First time we'd done something like that as a church. And particularly that Sunday night, as, as we kind of went through that week, and that Sunday night, we gathered together for devotions. We were upstairs in, in, this, in this room. And, and just to, to feel this, this different spirit of what God is doing in our life, to be around believers who said, I want to do this. I want to be a part of impacting God's, God's kingdom here and literally across the world. Uh, there were 16 of us, I think, on that first trip that we took as a church. And out of the 16 adults who were on that trip, five of those have moved permanently to live in the Dominican Republic. Uh, two of them that are here today that won't be taking the stage, we have Phyllis Brady back in the back and Kathy Plankenhorn uh, that were on that trip, and they're living now in the Dominican Republic permanently. But right now I'm going to tag out. Trevor's going to come on up, and he's going to finish this. And, and their missionaries work with Fight Ministries uh, down in, in Harbico in the Dominican Republic. I love these guys. I thank them for the work that they're doing. Uh, so welcome, Trevor. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, JJ. <clears throat> so... Um, I'm not really sweating. Michael shot me with the water gun a bunch there between services. Um, yeah, I thought I was going to be nervous, but then JJ told me I had to host, and I had to wear a fanny pack in the first service. And I said, after wearing a fanny pack up on stage, really, everything else is pretty easy. So, um, But I'm Trevor, and uh, our family's glad to be here today. Um, we've been living in the Dominican Republic for about nine months now, and uh, it's our first trip back. So, you know, we're excited to see friends and family and excited to eat some good food and we ate some Chick-fil-A and some people's barbecue and, you know, uh, went to some Rays games and, or a Rays game. It was 14 innings, so it, was, it felt like two games, but uh, it was a lot of fun. But, uh, you know, we, we've kind of experienced some reverse culture shock. I mean, we definitely miss our friends and family from back in Harbacoa. We miss the Ospergs and... And we missed Phyllis till she came down to meet with us and see us. So she just couldn't stand to be away from us for that long. And she had to come back and see us. So. But, uh, but we experienced some reverse culture shock. There's some, there's some things in the DR that are different, obviously, from the United States. And so you know, we, we moved over there and, and realized that the driving there is absolutely insane and crazy. And you, know, you get in a car and, and you pretty much roll the dice whether this is going to be the time that you, you, know, you crash. And that's the end of it. But... Um, you know, people will pass you on the left, pass you on the right, around a curve, in the fog, in the rain, uh, no visibility. They're just flying by. It's absolutely insane. In fact, my wife rides around for the first month like this, you know, like, you know, is it over yet? Because it's, it's crazy. And so I got used to driving like that. You just have to be ultra aware and you have to be defensive driver. And, and all those things they teach you that you don't really have to practice in the United States, 
you have to put into full practice there. So come back here and get off the plane. And my mom came to pick us up. And so she let me drive. And I'm like, why can't I pass this semi-truck around a curve with a double yellow? Like, it's frustrating me. I'm like, ready to go. So, you know, getting, getting kind of used to the way things are in the United States. And we're, we're definitely glad to be home for a few weeks. But um, and one of the other things in, in the DR is, is convenience stuff. It's like the service over there is, is good. And so, like, you can pull up to a stoplight and roll your window down and somebody will bring you an ice-cold bottle of water or they'll sell you a bag of limes or if you need a cell phone charger, you can buy it there and cases for your phone. They even sell newborn puppies on the side of the road, seriously. And we didn't ask how much, but it was like, you know, he's got two puppies. And, and, um, and so, but they also do this deal where they come up and wash your windshield. Whether you want them to or not, they're going to wash your windshield. And then they hold, you know, their hand out like, yeah, you, you could pay for that. You just, you know. So it frustrated me so much. And we were down there for like two months. And I was driving to Santiago all the time, just getting stuff, getting furniture and stuff that we needed. And uh, you pull up to the stoplight and they'd wash your windshield and put their hand down. And so we'd, we'd pay them sometimes. Sometimes we'd drive off. And I felt really bad about that. But everybody teased me that was in the car because I used to get so mad and white knuckled. And they'd be like, Trevor's mad again, the windshield washers. And they all laughed at me because it's fun to laugh at me. Um, so one day, Luke and I had to go to Santiago to pick up some stuff, or I don't remember what for, but Luke Osberg, who y'all know, you know, used to come here. And um, so we're like, let's make a game out of it today. I was like, let's see how many times I can get, we can get our windshield washed. So we literally go from one stoplight to the next and be like, get it washed twice at one stoplight, and then go to the next stoplight and get it washed again. And, you know, they only want like a quarter. It's all they want, so... We paid them all, and um, we actually have some pictures. We took pictures of everybody that day, and um, so I just wanted to share you some of uh, some of life in the DR pictures. But uh, that guy with his Yankees hat—they like throwing up gang signs. But uh, but they're kids too, and that's—I'm going to get into that later. But I mean, it's—we feel like at times it's a form of trafficking. But um, but yeah, so. This guy flipped his eyelids around and, and took a scary picture with the limes. And then there's the, there's the puppies. Yeah. Yeah, they're really cute. But seriously, who buys puppies on the side of the road at a stoplight? So, um, so yeah, we, um, we experienced some reverse culture shock for sure. But, you know, that was, that was one of those things where we just had to change our perspective on it. And I think, um, you know, moving to the Dominican Republic was a huge change for everybody, all five of us, all eight of us, actually, including the kids. But at times, you need to think about things from a different perspective, or else you're going to go crazy. So um, a little backstory on our family. Um, my wife, Kathy, and we have two kids. There's a picture of our family. There it is. And we did not fly down there with that couch. That was, yeah. But uh, there's the family, and... Um, and we, you know, we've been attending Ridgepoint since 2008, and um, and really, you know, felt like it's pulled towards missions. And when JJ announced that first trip in 2010, we were like, Kathy and I were both like, we have to go. And and so we went on that trip, and we went on two more trips just like it. And we built eight houses in Honduras, and it was just, you know, it was a really like we started to feel like, hey, maybe this is something that we need to do more of. And and how, you know, asking God, how how do you want us to kind of approach that. So um, last year, the middle of last year, I was finishing up a job and Kathy was um, going to go back to work because the kids were starting school. And, and we both went down to Honduras and it was like, okay, God, we're probably going to move here, but, you know, show us, show us what you have for us. And just the whole week went by and we didn't really feel anything. And we just felt like, you know, 
not moving forward on anything. So came back from that trip, and then, then we had the great ideas, okay, we'll be teachers, and then we'll take two months off in the summer, which me being a teacher, I can assure you, is the worst idea ever. But, um, but you know, I was, we were going to try it, and this, this was our plan. So we're going to teach, and we'll take two months off. We'll be able to do lots of mission trips in the summers. And uh, God closed doors. The job I was supposed to get, I wasn't able to get. So, and Kathy, the same thing. So it was like, you know, we, we start praying, God, show us, show us what you have for us. And, um, and he answered. And he said, you know, we felt like we just we needed to move down to the Dominican Republic. Um, Phyllis was already there. She had been there since March of that year. Luke and Naomi went down in July or June. And um, we said, I don't know what we're going to be doing, but we feel like the five of us um, were all called into this to work together. So uh, from July, when we kind of got the call until September 15th, we sold everything that we owned, um, sold our cars, put our house up for sale, um, and literally went down to the Dominican Republic with eight suitcases, four carry-ons, four personal items, and whatever else we could shove underneath our arms, which was all of our worldly possessions at that point. And that was September 15th. And so... um, so we've been down there for a few months, and, you know, my ideas, again, with my plans versus God plans, my plan would be, okay, Luke's into construction, I'm into construction, we're probably going to start a construction ministry, it'll be great, we'll build houses, um, which are good plans, and they're good things, um, but, you know, God had bigger plans for us. Um, 2 Corinthians twelve nine says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so, you know, God was telling us, what you think you're going to do, you're not going to do because you're going to do something that you feel totally uncomfortable with, and that's how he's going to get the glory. So um, we all started praying about, you know, what does it look like? What are we going to do? And um, we started getting some information and some, t- some statistics about human trafficking. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with human trafficking, it's a global epidemic um, there's over 27 million enslaved people worldwide right now. Right now, at this point in history, there are more slaves in the world than at any other point in human history. So it's a huge problem, and we said, okay, well, this is a big problem. It's probably somewhere in the other side of the world. But it's happening in the United States, and it's happening in a big way in the Dominican Republic. Uh, in fact, the Dominican Republic is a small, relatively small country. It's about a third of the size of Florida, but yet they export the fourth highest number of slaves of any country in the world. So for a small, tiny country, they're coming in and snatching people up left and right and exporting them all over the world to be slaves. And so we started kind of all of us, all five of us, you know, praying and seeking God. And that's something that I love about our team is that we all seek God in everything. And if, if we didn't, you know, Luke and I might be doing a construction ministry, which would be great. It would be a good thing. And Kathy and Phyllis and Naomi might still be teachers, and and that would be a good thing too. But, you know, God has a perfect plan, and our plans are not perfect. And so we kept seeking God, and and, uh, in February of this year, we founded Fight Ministries. And Fight stands for freeing individuals from the grasp of human trafficking. And we feel specifically called to help children under the age of 18 in the Dominican Republic, who are being caught up into this worldwide epidemic. Um, you know, we, we can't believe that, you know, God called us to Harabakoa um, because not only is, is the Dominican Republic horrible for human trafficking, but also, you know, these rural towns like Harabakoa, the town we live in is a small town up in the mountains, and it's, it's beautiful. And I thank God daily that, that it's beautiful because it's, I mean, it's gorgeous. But, uh, but it's also, you know, where the traffickers come 
and they prey on these individuals that are so poverty stricken. And they come in and they'll tell them a lie, like, hey, we'll take your daughter and uh, we'll give her a job and, and, and she'll come work for us and we'll put her through school and we'll educate her and, uh, and she'll make enough that, that she can send money back to you. And they say, okay, this is, a, you know, this is a good thing for us. It's a good thing for her. And then, you know, she's gone and she's never heard from again. And, uh, and we've heard stories of this and we know stories of girls in Harbacoa that, you know, that are asked to, to do unspeakable things on a daily basis. And, you know, their parents literally sell them to neighbors and friends and, and whatever for money. And it's crazy how the culture down there is so just hyper-sexed and over-sexed. And, and, and we just, you know, we, we hate all the things that we hear. But we knew we had to do something. And, um, and so Fight Ministries was born. And, you know, we're all Americans and we don't speak Spanish. And none of us spoke Spanish when we moved over there. And we would stumble through, you know, transactions. And, you know, our kids have picked it up a lot quicker than we did um, or have. But, you know, we're trying to do this. And, um, and again, God's saying, no, when you're weak, I'm strong. So Fight Ministries is, is the vision of Fight Ministries is threefold. Uh, the first step is prevention. Um, the second step would be rescue, and the third would be rehabilitation. And, uh, and we all feel like um, rescue and rehabilitation is something that we're going to do down the road. We're not quite uh, ready to start those activities. So we said, okay, you know, what can we do in our town to prevent you know, these young girls, these 10, 11, 12-year-old girls and boys from being you know, sucked into this lifestyle that's so horrible? So we started this uh, prevention model where we basically said we want to, you know, we want to gain influence and trust in our community. So we want to go out into the neighborhoods and we want to, we want people to know us and know that we're here to stay and that we're not just, you know, coming in for a couple of weeks trying to win souls and then we're going to leave, but that we're here and we're planted in Harabakoa. So we started targeting specific neighborhoods and through the church that we attend and that we work with, we've started going in these areas and, and reaching out to these families and and trying to start this prevention process. And, uh, and we're doing it right now. We hope to, in the very near future, get a building in Harbacoa that we can use to kind of further this. Um, someplace where, where adults, young adults, um, children can come, and we can help supplement their education. Uh, the education system in the Dominican as a whole is horrible. Uh, students only go to school about half days, and then when they do go to school if they go to school at all, sometimes the teachers will go on strike and then they're going two hours a day. Or, I mean, it's absolutely insane uh, compared to what we have here. Um, so we're trying to supplement their education, but give them hope and give them a future in Christ. Um, but that's the other thing is, like JJ said, if we, if we just meet their physical needs, you know, we could help them with their education and we could help them, you know, with their poverty situation. We could build them a new house maybe. But if we don't introduce them to Christ, then it's all for nothing. Um, so I'm going to show you a picture of, uh, of a girl named Erica. And, I, you know, people talk about so much. Um, they talk about human trafficking or they talk about being a missionary. But I feel like, for me, I'm, I like to see things. So Erica's the tall one in the middle. And she's 14 years old. And um, Erica's been raped as a young girl several times. Um, and she is what we would say extremely high risk for being trafficked. Um, her older sister is actually working as a prostitute um, in the Dominican in another town. And so, you know, Erica looks up to her sister and says she has this glamorous lifestyle. And what she doesn't realize is that this lifestyle is slavery. 
And, um, and so we're trying to reach girls like Erica. We're trying to reach these kids who are, are on the cusp that are, you know, teetering on the edge of going down a path that's just going to lead to darkness. And we're trying to show them the light of Jesus. Um, Erica lives in a neighborhood called Barrio Blanco. And the barrio is the Spanish word for neighborhood or ghetto. It's, a ba- it's not a, it's a bad, bad neighborhood. So Barrio Blanco, when we first moved there, they told us is, this is the place where people go if they want underage girls. And, um, you know, prostitution is legal in the Dominican Republic, unfortunately. But it just blurs the line between who's 18, who's not 18. And, and we see it time and time again, these, you know, 15, 14-year-old girls, you know, caught up into this lifestyle. And clearly that's not of their own choice. But Barrio Blanco is a neighborhood that's just hard hit by this. And, uh, and it was a neighborhood that we wanted to target specifically initially as a neighborhood that we could pour into. So um, we go out, our whole team goes out every Sunday, and we, and we play, play soccer and baseball with the kids, and we're starting to kind of make some inroads with the families there. And, and, uh, but there's a family that lives in Barrio Blanco, the Garcia family, Tito and, uh, and Maria Garcia. And uh, there's a picture of Tito and his little boy, Franny, who's like Emily's age, and they are just thick as thieves. There's Tito, Maria, and their three girls, but they live in Barrio Blanco in a house that's about 500 to 600 square feet. Um, there's another picture here when we all went to eat at their house one time. That's half of their house is what you can see. There's, there's another room in the other side that's the other half. I mean, literally, like, Tito just put an addition on his house. He added onto his kitchen, and he added about eight square feet onto his kitchen because that was all he could afford to add on. And it was like, you think of doing an addition in the United States, you know, it's, we're going to put 800,000 square feet on. But he, you know, he saved up the money and got the materials and added on 10 square feet into his kitchen so they could have a little bit more room to cook. But, uh, but they're a family, and they're an awesome family. And they attend church, and they serve in church, and they come, and they play with us at Barrio Balls. We never asked them. Barrio Balls is what we call when we play with the kids at the Barrio. I don't know. But um, we never asked them to come, you know, to come do that. They just decided they wanted to come and, and help out. So it was, it was neat because we're sitting here going, God, we don't speak Spanish. We don't know the culture. We don't know the language. We don't know anything. And, and, and here God provided this family and two families just like them in different neighborhoods. And so that's kind of Fight Ministries' uh, next steps are, you know, we're targeting these families in the church that we can use to then target their communities. Because if Tito and Maria can impact their community and we can help them out, then, you know, that's better. Because we don't want to be the Americans that come in and, and fix all the problems and save everything. We want Dominicans helping Dominicans, and then we can help kind of help them out with that. Um, this picture here is Maria, and she's making jewelry. And, um, and Phyllis and, and Naomi and Kathy kind of started a, a jewelry co-op with the young ladies and, um, in the church. And so they're given materials, and um, through donations that we've received, they're given materials to these ladies who are then, they're teaching them to make these jewelry, this jewelry, and then we're selling it to teams when they come down, and, uh, and we're actually looking into avenues where we can sell it back here in the U.S. too. But, uh, but it's a way where, you know, she can make an extra, you know, an extra little bit of money to kind of help her along. Maria's actually going to college right now. She's graduated high school, which is incredible in the DR, and she's taking one college class at a time. And, um, and she takes a college class, and I think she meets on Saturdays or something. She works, and she takes care of her family. And, uh, 
And so we love seeing people who wanna, want to put the work into helping out their situation. And if you just give them a little, a little extra help, you know, they can do so much for themselves and their community. Um, but, you know, the thing about this ministry is, is it's really hard. It's hard to know for us when we're making a difference. And, uh, and we can work at it, and we can work at it. But, you know, we don't speak the language yet, but we're learning. But, you know, it's, it's difficult to know, you know, that there's three brothels in town, and I want to bust down the doors and crush all the skulls of the guys in there and, and rescue those girls out of there. But we're just, we're not there yet. And we might be there in the future, but we're not there yet. But, uh, but I can assure you that, you know, what we're doing is making a difference in these lives. And I can assure you that we have already prevented at least one, if not more, girls from, or boys from a path that's going to lead them to bondage and slavery. Um, something that we, uh, a verse that kind of we use uh, for our ministry and, uh, and that when teams come down, we ask them to learn it in Spanish so that they can share with the people. But it's uh, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, And it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And, you know, God had a plan for the five of us for our lives, and that was to move to the Dominican Republic. And I don't think that's God's plan for most of you guys, if, if, if any of you. But God has a perfect plan for your life. And, uh, and that's what we stress today is, is just listening to hear God's plan for your life. And, uh, and God has a plan for their lives too. And it's not for them to be sold into bondage or sold into slavery. It's for them to have a hope and a future in him and his perfect path for their lives. So if you'd like some more information about Fight Ministries, I'll be down front. Phyllis is here. She's in the back. My wife, Kathy. And we have brochures in the, uh, in the lobby if you want to check it out or go online and check out our website. But appreciate Ridgepoint's support for all of us. And, uh, and we hope that we can continue to come back and kind of share what God's doing and share some huge wins in the future of things that he's doing for us in the DR. So let's pray.